And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. To me, the great hope is that now these little 8-millimeter video recorders and stuff are coming around. Some just people who normally wouldn't make movies are going to be making them. And, you know, suddenly one day some little girl in Ohio is going to be the new Mozart, you know, and make a, a beautiful film with her little father's camera recorder. And for once, the so-called professionalism about movies will be destroyed forever, you know, and it will really become an art form. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And you're here for episode 138. We're getting up there, buddy. I know. Uh, and we're here with another guest. Yes. And a fucking cool oh, guest. cool guest. Um, filmmaker Phil Mucci. Phil, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Phil is a director who is doing uh, a lot of stuff. M- most people would know you from the Metallica videos, uh, Spit Out the Bone, Yeah. Well, that that was the, the most high profile. That and probably the, the Disturbed video I did. That one has a lot of views as well. So mm-hmm. those were the two biggest bands that I've done. So yeah, probably. Uh, well, Corn Corn is a, well. Well, they're in the a, a big band. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're big, but that video didn't get as many uh, YouTube views, which is like that is the the measurement of the popularity. So, right. So um, you know, and and. To be honest, you know, even those videos that are the most popular aren't necessarily my favorite. It's just they're the bands that people know. They're the bands that people go to YouTube and look up the music for. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Right on. So uh, the first thing I noticed was The Hive. What is The Hive? The Hive was I started out as a photographer in New York City before I started filmmaking. And um, I went through kind of a, a period where I was getting really down about the photography that I was doing and I was just kind of trapped in doing advertising and I I was hating it and it was affecting my personal life. So the hive was something where I decided, well, I've made this money doing this stuff. I'm going through a divorce now. If I don't start making movies now, I may lose all my money and never have a chance. (laughs) So at least half uh, of all my money. (laughs) Exactly. Although the divorce laws in New York are archaic. Uh, So anyway, I uh, decided to create like a production company that we would uh, use to uh, start making short films to do my first one, uh, The Listening Dead. So we created The Hive basically as a, you know, production company that just started making The Listening Dead. And then we made the second short film right after it, uh, Far Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, w- that was basically it for The Hive. The Hive uh, ended shortly thereafter because I ended up moving to Los Angeles. So, so, is it, so it's fair to say then that, that um, despite you being a photographer, that you always wanted to make movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was just one of those things that in life, like you, you know, there was the, there was a moment, there was a, a seminal moment where it hit me. And it was like, I think I was probably eight years old and I was watching Star Wars in a the theater for like the fourth time. And the end titles came up and it was like written, directed by George Lucas and like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, one guy did that? 
I'm like, I could do that. I want to fucking do that, you know? So, uh, because I was always into art and drawing and writing from a young age, obsessed with dinosaurs, Harryhausen, you know, you Dude, know, the you, typical stuff. You're firing all <laughs> yeah, cylinders here. Like, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, so, so when I saw Star Wars, you know, now as an adult, I now think, you lost like, me there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, but I was a kid. You know, I think the first time I saw it, I was seven. But then I went and saw it like twelve times in the movie theater because it was before like VHS. I was young, and my parents they loved movies, so they're like. Uh, let's just take the go- kids to go see Star Wars again, you know. Um, so it was, it really clicked with me as a young person because it was such a vision, you know. It was such a, a world that was created that was so escapist, you know. It was like totally not like anything I had seen before because my parents were taking us to Woody Allen movies and God, wow. I mean, like, we're seeing like serious 70s American cinema, which now I think is the good way, better, way better than Star Wars, but at the time, Star Wars to a kid. Like me, a creative, you know, monster-obsessed kid was like, holy shit. It takes time to grow into the executioner, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it did take time, and it was also a lot of different tracks that my life took growing up where I, you know, I wanted to go to NYU film school, and I was a straight-A student, but... My sen- right before my senior year of high school, my parents found out I smoked pot. And oh. they, freaked, they freaked out. Yeah, they were totally straight-laced. They freaked out, and they're like, there's no way you're going to NYU. That's right off Washington Square Park. They sell drugs there. I'm like, they sell drugs at every college. Mom. What are you talking about? <laughs> I sell um, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, this, there was this divergence. I ended up going to Syracuse University. I went to the SI Newhouse School of Public no Communication. there's no drugs there. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it was ridiculous. The reasoning behind it made no sense, but I made the most of it. I went there and immediately tried to enroll in the – there was only two undergraduate, like, writing programs that you could get into. My major was writing for television, radio, and film. I was like, oh, that's good. You know, I'll just – but I, I got – accepted into these very competitive undergraduate creative writing workshops. One was with Douglas Unger and the other one was with Tobias Wolf. Um, they're published American writers. And George Saunders actually was teaching, is teaching there recently. Another great writer that I love. Oh, but, yeah. uh, he, uh, but the, those workshops are really great. And I did them both my freshman year. Like I got into both of them right away, which oh, was really, cool. ex- really exciting. I did one the first semester and one the second semester. And it, those teachers were really influential. They were basically like, don't study these writing programs that you're signed up for. Study something totally else because it's going to narrow your writing. You start writing for journalism. It takes you years to unlearn that. You start writing for this yeah. TV format. It's going to take you forever to unlearn that. Mm-hmm. So just trust us, you know. You can write, you just need to live, go f- explore another interest. And I was still into art, and I was like, well, if I'm not going to study that, well, then maybe I'll study photography, because that'll teach me about lighting, cameras, blah, blah, blah. Right. So it was this, like, hmm. this, ever since that time of seeing that movie that triggered that light bulb in my head, I just slowly kind of built towards it. And then I, my senior year, I went to the U.K. for a semester, and there was a photographer there, and a lot of photographers were making the move right into music videos. And he was just talking about, you know, how he did it, uh, he was a cab driver who had started, you know, taking pictures, and then he got a music video, and, and I was like, that's probably the path that I can take, is like, if I, if the photography thing keeps going well when I get out of school, you know, I'll go to New York, and I'll start assisting, and, you know, I'll just kind of build it that way, and it, that's eventually what happened, you know, it took, a, took longer than I thought, but it happened, you know. You were shooting a lot of rock guys, yeah? 
guys and girls. Yeah, I did a lot of music. I did a lot of record label stuff. At, at the time, too, like, my photography career took off, like, really independently anyway, the end of the 90s and into the 2000s. So there's a lot of hip-hop, uh, a lot of DJ, electronic music. Um, I shot every... I mean, I shot so many people. It's, yeah. It's, it's nuts. I mean, there's... There's lists somewhere, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did shoot a, a lot of, like, you know, I got to shoot Christina Aguilera. I got to shoot Jay-Z, The Killers. Uh, the list I have know. goes goes Green Day, White Stripes, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Christina Aguilera, yeah. Ludacris, Jay-Z, The Roots, Trent yeah. Reznor. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Shirley Manson, Tori yeah, Amos. Yeah, like You're chilling a lot with of big boys. That's awesome. It was good because it was a good uh, experience. It totally uh, neutered me to being affected by celebrity at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it total, I don't have any nervousness around any kind of, you know, famous person because I've I've worked with so many now and had all my illusions basically shattered. So <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to approach the the work at hand, you know, and not get all starry eyed, you know. You know, I I, I want to go back to to what you were t- saying about uh, seeing the credits at the end of Star Wars, um, and and that seems like that's a realization for a lot of filmmakers. You know, it's like oh oh someone made this. Yeah, people this, do it, this. This isn't magic. But I, it, it strikes me, and in talking about uh, musicians, how different that is for music and uh, mu- or music and movies. A lot of times, the the motivation is different because, like, uh, you, you, I, we talk to filmmakers, and they're all like, you know, yeah, man, I wanted to be John Ford, I wanted to be Orson Welles, I wanted to be Steven Spielberg, and then, but when you talk to Musicians, and I'm sure this is an umbrella statement that it, it doesn't apply to everybody, but it's like, well, I saw the Ramones and I thought, fuck, I can do that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, there, there's something about that too, like the rock stardom, because that's like a different, it's not, it's about that persona and that performance and also that seeing that reaction of the crowd. I think a lot of people, a lot of guys get into rock and roll for the girls, you sure. know, I think that definitely part of it it's not because and they, the music is speaking to them and they have to yeah, get yeah, it out yeah, yeah, yeah. right well and i also think as an artist your influences change I, uh, many a lot of guys might you know or gals might get into it for that for the fame and the celebrity but maybe once they start doing it the music becomes its own reward yeah which is i think how it is with a lot of art it, it is for me with everything that i've ever done is like yeah, okay, the Star Wars movie thing inspired me, but now everything's trying to be fucking Star Wars, and it all sucks, and I don't want to make that anymore. That's not my thing anymore, but I'm still invested and really interested in filmmaking. Cause it's well, I think the longer that you're there, the more, the more by default, you're, you're exposed to other people, and you see their influences, and you go, oh, shit, I've never seen a mario bava film right so then you suddenly that world opens up to you and yeah and, I'm and that fan. definitely was a thing for me i mean just you drop that name right away but that that yeah. definitely was a thing yeah for we're gonna me. get yeah. we're gonna get to bava buddy <laughs> um the other thing i was gonna say is that as a young person you know fresh out of college while you could sit through personal opinion while you can sit through lecture after lecture after lecture none of that all of that falls away to just being there, being on the set, right. seeing how other professionals behave, seeing how codes of conduct, Dude, seeing it what's was, expected. It was, it's, it's it so was important. such a big, when I was in school, you know, we were, you know, you're surrounded by talk of camera work, you're surrounded by, you're surrounded by all this stuff, 
And then you get your first gig working on a real movie, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just like, oh, shit. And then you see that at least 50%, if not more, of what you're learning is is all thrown to the side. Oh, sure. You, you know, and, and, yeah. it, and, and you're, it, it makes us, you're right. Being there makes a big difference. I started working at a photography studio in Syracuse before I graduated college with a photography degree. Like, that's how... That's how I really learned. It was like my senior year. I did my first semester in the UK, came back, a local photographer, advertising photographer, went to the head of my department, asked for people to recommend. I was on the top of the list. I ended up working, staying in Syracuse and working at this studio, and that's where I cut my teeth. I was shooting catalogs for grocery stores. I was like lighting stuff, dealing with clients, running film. So I started getting really you know, practical experience right away so that by the time I made the move to New York, it was the same situation where I had been recommended by my, my uh, instructor, my professor in uh, Syracuse. And I came to New York and just started freelancing. And then being on set and seeing how different photographers had different personalities and which ones worked and which one jibed with people and, like, learning on my own. Because when you're a photographer in a commercial setting, it is very similar to filmmaking. The terminologies are a little bit different, but you are the director and the producer and sometimes the co-writer of the concepts that are happening. So you have a lot of responsibility on set and you are answering questions the whole time like a director has to. And there was a, it was it was I didn't realize how good of a training ground it was until I, you know, made the shift and did my first short film. I was like, "Holy shit, yeah, this is the same thing. This is just better. This is more fun. This is, you know, <laughs> right." More and more what I wanted to do in the first place. Oh my god, they move. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could, we don't have to just get it in one shot. We can actually have motion. This is amazing. <laughs> hey, you string a few of those together, you got something. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, so at what was it was it just the natural progression for you to to make Listening Dead? Like, it, like it was, of course it, I'm going to make my own film. At some point, of course I'm going to do that. Well, it was always in the back of my mind. It was always like when I have enough, when I, because I understood the realities that it's expensive and that if you want to do something on your own first, nobody's going to give you the money. You're going to basically have to finance it yourself. So I realized all that. I had read Rebel Without a Crew, you mm -hmm. know, uh, Rodriguez books. So I, I was I was totally aware of all that stuff. And I had sort of put myself through my own film school with all the old Corman movies and Argento movies and all these like kind of low-budget uh, drive-in type flicks. Some of them had commentaries. I listened to a ton of film commentaries, so I felt like I was personally ready and that I understood what it had to, what I had to do. And I knew that at the time, like this might be the last time I'm going to have this amount of money that I could drop on something. So let's make something. And we had already started to like try to get music videos kind of going with our, because we were doing record label photography. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we had some experience and just at that point too, final cut was becoming like a practical solution for editing and post-production. So it was like, okay. And then I had a crew of guys who were all Photoshop guys. I got them learning after effects they taught that to me. They they kind of showed me how to get Final Cut going, and and I realized, well, now is like the perfect time. Like this is all digitized. We got a major democratization of filmmaking now. Let's let's do it. So we took an idea that there was an idea that we had pitched to a record label because they had seen something we'd done uh, for Louis the Fourteenth. I shot their album packaging. They're gone. That band's gone already. Uh, I shot. I shot. Hard their to album. say with that name. <laughs> 
uh, I shot their album packaging with this gorgeous model, uh, uh, Karen Miller, and she and I really hit it off. And we also shot a video while we were there in L.A. because we got stuck in L.A. because there was a snowstorm in New York. So we're like, have her come to the hotel. We'll shoot more stuff. Uh, so we had given the, the label this video, and we're like, give us, you know, 10 grand for this video, and you can have it. And they're like, oh, fuck off, you can't, no, 10 grand, get out of here. I'm like, all right, well, you can't have a video then. Yeah. But they asked us to pitch another song. You know, they said, here's another song we have, well, what would be your idea for this? And I came up with a visual concept, the kind of scratchy thing that is in The Listening Dead. We shot a test of that, sent it to them, they didn't go for it. And I'm like, well, we already put that idea out there, let's... And, you know, let's just make a, a short film of our own that has that technique in it because um, we got the money now. Let's just do it. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, hell yeah, let's do it. So uh, that's how kind of listening dead. And then for that story, I just kind of mined all the pain from my divorce <laughs> about this couple not being able to communicate. You know, right, right. Uh, uh, and, you know, made it a metaphor for that. Here's, and then so, uh, you you mentioned the, the the scratchy technique for the listening dead. Can you just give a super like super super short idea for people who listening who haven't seen it? Okay, well in in the film, uh, a uh, it takes place you know probably in the early turn of the century, nineteen hundred or something, and a and a composer and his wife aren't getting along. She goes up into her sewing room, smashes a picture open takes it out of the frame and scribbles on his face with a white china you know, marker, like a big crayon for, that people use in sewing and stuff. And then downstairs, playing at the piano, her composer husband, his face and hands turn into these scribbles, and he literally is blinded and totally disoriented by it and starts staggering around uh, the house. And it's kind of like a curse. And uh, that's, that was kind of the technique that mm. we had pitched it's originally kind of, for the music video. It's kind of word processor of the gods, right? A little bit of that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really cool because um, it it it's you're using um, you're using digital uh, at that time relatively new digital technology to shoot something that is uh, stylized a, as if it was uh, shot as a silent film at the you know in the in the beginning of the the twentieth century, mm-hmm. and you're mimicking. A technique that people did for years with film, where they would literally scratch the emotion. Scratch the emotion. Scratch the emotion. Yeah, yeah exactly. that was the first animation I did back in right. way back in. That's the day. how you did ray guns, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's what I love. First, you you get your your pull you pull together your your first complete short film, and and all this talk of Star Wars and, and commercial photography, and then you then you go, I know, silent black and white. <laughs> That's gonna put us over. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking at all about like that. I was just thinking that. Well, it's fun. I also imagine like, well, yeah, I'll start with the silent film era and work my way up. <laughs> right, right, right. But but I thought it made sense for the story. It was totally oh, sure. a sty- yeah. stylistic choice. Sure, sure, sure. These well, people not, don't hear each other. They not can't. to mention that you know when you're a beginning filmmaker, sound is a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know any sound guys. That's the real reason. <laughs> um, then, then when uh, ap- uh, where am I at here? Uh, then, so the following years when you did Far Out. Yeah, dude. Yeah, by we, the way, it's so cool. I, so groovy. I love, I love Far Out. But first of all, anything that references Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, I'm like, <laughs> I am there. 
Well, yeah, again, me too. immediately, I think with Far Out, we we really see you starting to wear some influences on your sleeve. You know what I mean? Like you can see, like, oh, this guy, this guy's been around Baba. He's been around that whole '60s sort of mod, you know, go-go culture kind of a thing. And and uh, yeah. So when it takes it, it when it takes the turn, I don't want to say anything about like uh, that reveals the girl. It's kind of like. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> now, now, yeah, cool. Yeah. It reminds me of what was that called? Goodbye, Gemini. Something about that. It, it felt like that. It was an old British film that no one seen. Clearly, yeah, I don't know it. Yeah. Tom, Tom has. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, it was that same sort of, you know, that same sort of uh, not quite Esquivel and like Space Age Bachelor Pad, right? But it had that. I mean, immediately you go, this well, is the 60s, it, this is this, this is that. I, I, Just I think, a great job. I think by using that party scene in particular, which, uh, and, and correct me, Phil, but uh, you're, 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 you're expressing your love of this far-out, whacked-out, groovy movie in particular, and... Uh, and then putting this cool twist on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was totally, yeah, I was kind of obsessed with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. It's just like, this is the most insane, ahead of its time, crazy, melodrama, horror, action, violent sex movie ever. You know, like I was, I, I watched it a bunch of times and got really into it. And I, I also was into, at that time, I was really into, as you mentioned, Tom, you know, like the, the kind of the Baba from that area. Yeah, and sure. Your guy about. And five dollars for an August moon and stuff yeah. like that. Really groovy. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I, and I just thought, like, because world making was like kind of what I was really attracted to about filmmaking was kind of like you can like make this place and live in it. You know, yeah. you can you can be in this world. You know, like Ridley Scott type stuff where yeah. it's you know Blade Runner. Or it's, it's a place. You know, it's a it's another place you're going in this movie. We're gonna take you somewhere. So that's why time period stuff was really fun to tackle because I could pull all this reference and get all the artists I was working with to kind of like get on board with me and live in that place, you know? Sure. And that would happen too. The, you know, you come to something really cool to a guy. It's like, I'll pay you, but this is going to be really cool too. Right, right, right. So, well, people get really motivated by that for yeah, sure. Uh, you know, especially the kind of the, the artists that I had around me in New York at that time, they were, they were all very much on board and like on the team for that kind of work. So very um, cool. Well, yeah. It's I'll a good driving force, you know? The thing that I found interesting, because last night I at, at the at my hospital gig that I do, um, I went through, collected all the videos from your IMDb and went through them one at a time. And what I found interesting was is that after Far Out, there were three music videos that you did, Hailstorm, Corn, and Domin. And it seemed like was how do I put this? Was that you trying to play along with the music industry by going like we're going to do like like band, I, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's like we're going to do bands playing in a desert essentially. So, well, I, Tom is, is Tom's bringing up something because there is a there is a shift at some point in after your work. Far Out and before Opeth. These mm-hmm. are these are pretty much. Salt standard, regular standard right, yeah, yeah that's a better rock. word standard music videos and before we spin off into what I like to call Moochie Land where it's it's so, so identifiable with you I think you hung up I know I think I lost you just for a second uh, okay. just you want to repeat that question uh yep. oh so so there was a um 
I mean, there's a point after Far Out and before Opeth that it was like you were making regular music videos before you spun off into what I call Mucci yep. Land, where it's like, now I'm just probably not almost like a, mo- a, a fuck it moment where you go, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. Well, it's funny. It, it literally was. I mean, because I hadn't done, uh, you know, r- any official music videos when I first started. I came to L.A. to direct my first feature. That was why I came out. But it didn't work out. Uh, it ended up, you know, it was called Knights of Badassdom. It ended up getting directed by Joe Lynch years wow. later. Oh, shit. Um, you dodged a bullet, buddy. <laughs> I sure as hell did. I knew it was a bullet, too. I knew the bullet was coming. I'm like, this gun is loaded. You guys have a $30 million script, and you're telling me you got to... Maybe a three million dollar budget. We need a rewrite, and it was a dis. I love the writers, but it was a disagreement with one of the producers. And you know, anyway, long story. But uh, so I was with Anonymous Content at that time, and they had a music video division, and they they were interested in in trying to get me work in music videos based on my experience as a photographer and based on my music videos, not my music videos, my short films. So I uh, wrote like I think thirty five, forty treatments for them before I got one finally. Because record labels didn't want to take a chance on somebody who didn't have a music video already. The famous Catch-22, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So the reason I got Hailstorm was because I'd already shot photography with them and the band liked me. So they, you know, they, I wrote a treatment that I thought I could get made for the budget because they were still decent budgets then. Not great. They had gone down a lot, but it was still decent. Um, So I was basically writing to Atlantic Records and staying within a certain amount of like, it's got to be performance. We got to see the whole, you know, like there was a lot of stipulation as to what it had to be. Um, and so that's why it seems more like a regular music video because that was what was required. And I had to prove myself that I can make a music video. I made sort of an eighties hair metal music video, but it was still a music video. Right. Right. But it, it wasn't a lot of my, I wrote it, you know, it's my story, but it's not much of a thing, you know. Uh, And then... Go ahead, Phil. Oh, no, I was just going to say that doing that one video got me the attention of Roadrunner Records, which does all that, did all the heavy metal and the weirder bands, which Korn was with. And that, Korn was the first one I did for Roadrunner, and Roadrunner Records became a label that worked with me a bunch and started trusting me. Um, And so things kind of elevated from there. Um, and the more you the do, turn- the more they trust you. Exactly. Right. I mean, Op- Opeth came directly from Roadrunner, and Opeth was a blank check. It was just like, we have this budget. The band doesn't have to be it. Be in it. What do you want to do? And very cool. Yeah, they sent me. I got a little bit of reference from the band, and it was all this really retro, you know, you know, old school kind of occult clips and things like that. I'm like, oh shit, I got this. You know, I know what to do. How and I just. Go ahead. Finish and I, I just, I just did a, uh, I just did a brief. I didn't even write anything for that. I wrote a brief description, and then I put together film clips from old movies and stuff, and tried to show them like, here's what I'm, you know, I took stuff from Corman's The Trip. I took stuff from Fritz Lang. I took a lot of stuff and put it all together in this thing, and said, you know, something like this. And they're like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. so that, that's where I had like, from that point on, I pretty much just started getting given free reign, and and I started saying like. If if the band's writing a treatment, I'm not interested, you know, nice. like, because that that happens a lot where it's like the band wants you to do this and they have only, you know, this amount of money. And it's like, no, because with music videos, 
you get told a budget and then you have to write a treatment. So you're working backwards from your number, you know what I mean? Versus sure. film where you kind of like, you're like, oh, I got to keep it cheap, but I know I got this person in, so we could probably do it for this much. But, you know, with music videos, it's, you know, here's the number. You write something that you can do for that number in this period of time. Yeah. And, and then they let you go. You know, because you leave it to the band and it can go wildly awry. Right. <laughs> if you, for reference, look up a band. It's a Japanese visual kiei band called Marseille. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's like the band. Clearly, the band is like there's a visionary, and it's 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 a visual kiei band. So it's like a lot of men in makeup and and looking wearing ball gowns and stuff. But um, it just spins into this. All of their videos spin off into this horrible thing. So I, I think it's good that the you as the director can br- sort of go, listen, I got this, I'll rein everybody in, I'll keep them within the parameters, and uh, give you a, something you can use. Phil, I won't... No! Uh, <laughs> no! <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I was going to say... I'm sorry, I keep, I keep uh, wanting to answer. Uh, no, I was going to say that... Uh, it is, it is great when you get to that point. It just takes you a while to get there. Hence the other videos that sort of that were more standard, um, because it's building trust with you know it's it's a business relationship yeah. with a label. You know. Yeah, I can bring so, it in on time. I can bring the ship to port, right. and no one's going to get hurt. Right. When you when you enter into uh, 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 I, I, for a contract. And, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, a, uh, a concept has already been discussed. Um, are you taking into account, as the filmmaker, um, it's like, hey, okay, so these guys want shots of the band. These guys want shots of the band playing. And then these guys are like, you know, do whatever. Or these guys may have notes. Does all of that go into the timeline that you're negotiating are they telling you hey man we got to have this in this amount of time or are you saying hey man this is going to take me this amount of time because i know something like uh the metallica video um sitting down with after effects and making sure everything's lined up and and yeah you're not shooting a lot of stuff but you're pulling all this shit and you're combining it and you're having to use uh, mats and you're having to do all this different stuff um, in my opinion probably takes longer than something where you're shooting the band yeah oh yeah no totally they, they I mean ironically Metallica had the shortest schedule of almost anything I've ever wow. had. oh my god uh, it was it was a nightmare um, but in the other in the other case usually you get a there's a deadline a release date deadline like it's got to come out by this time but some heavy metal bands it's it's kind of up in the air like high on fire they're like yeah well how long will you think it'll take you know they they weren't in a rush to get it out it's not a single that's going to play on the radio and they they don't have any big marketing push behind it but other bands there are more like solid deadlines and you have to you have to work back from there so you do think about it but i don't really concern myself too much with notes because i don't really ever get them especially in animation because my argument is there is no time for notes if you like this treatment You'll see a green screen edit. You'll be able to say, like, I don't like this shot or that shot. 
but then I then I a uh, ton of post production work, and it you know it takes months you know with the animation. So right. there isn't there isn't a lot of time for you to come in and comment. You can comment a little bit if 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 I'm making some money on this, I feel obligated to like let you say something. But when we get to the end, there's really no time because it's usually a crunch. It's usually like the last three or four days I don't sleep, you know, mm-hmm. to get it out on time. Right. Um, but performance, I try to avoid performance in the videos. Like after. The only time I did it was with Huntress again because uh, Jill's hot and, uh, <laughs> and she's, she's she's also a, por- a performer. She's a she's uh-huh. like part of the part of the band is her performance. You know, she's I really, dramatic. I really know. like the Zenith video. I yeah, really that did. it looks that's so a fun cool. video. Yeah. So Thanks, very man. cool. Well, no, you're you're right. It, it, in that there are certain performers or. or, or performers there are certain artists who their performance is as much them Mm -hmm. as the music and so i would imagine in those cases you have to include some of them yeah and i think their marketing and stuff all uh, kind of focuses on we have this gorgeous lead singer with an amazing voice so you you can't just totally break the mold and be like, this is going to be a Huntress video without the Huntress in it. You know, that's not really what they're about. And I, the funny thing was I had, I had approached them because I'd seen one of their videos, and I'm like, well, if I'm going to be doing heavy metal, let's do a heavy metal, you know, with a heavy metal vixen. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right. I love it. Was, yeah. that, was that projection on her body, like, yeah, almost like a yep. laughing kind of go, again, the go-go, 60 stuff. So cool. Yeah. No, I, I love projector, you know, doing different types of projection techniques. Bond, that first opening Bond. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the title sequences, you know, those are, oh, you know, little young burned Tom, in my mind. Young Tom liked those a lot. <laughs> oh, man. So, so this is different, but do either of you guys remember this little South African film called Kill or Be Killed? No. No. It's a martial arts movie. I know it's, that. It it's like totally a martial arts movie. But it, what's funny is the beginning, the, the the title sequence is just that. It's like it's the guy. It's our hero, you know, performing kata. Right? He's like he he punches and then directed by on his like arm. On his floor. Oh man! <laughs> and the whole title sequence. There's is a that. patina of cheese there that I just <laughs> I find so appealing. Um, were the was this the music that the videos you were doing was that music reflective of just your relationship with the label or what did it was it an expression of your own personal taste? It was um, mostly just what the label. It, actually, I I started getting approached by bands after I did Opeth. After I did the Opeth video, I was requested. You know, which is like a different. It's like a different level as Sweet. a music video director because yeah, you don't. Cool. You're not compete. You're not competing anymore because typically what they do is they just go out to ten hungry directors or maybe it's fewer. I don't even know, but and they just ask for treatments and everybody writes for free and submits their their treatment to the band. You, you do you do some pictures maybe, or if you really want it and you have the time, which you usually don't, you try to string some video together and. Here's like a little, little sizzle reel of what it could be, you know, like, and you compete. But then after Opeth, I, I didn't compete anymore. I, uh, I mean, I did on a couple of things. Like I wrote two Green Day treatments last year. Didn't get either one. Hmm. Uh, but I will rarely bother doing that now because there's just, you know, the, in, that, that whole section of my filmography is probably going to get a lot thinner. I don't know that how many more music videos I'm actually going to do. Oh really? Do you do you ultimately want to move to a full feature? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I want to want to move out of this because it's just, it doesn't pay uh, at all. Uh, and I've I've learned everything I wanted to learn. I got what I could get out of it, you know. Oh, yeah, and I, so that it's it's time to move on, you know, to newer, bigger things. That speaks to something in that at, at one time being a music video director, uh, at, at least for you know for big bands, um, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And now it seems like that I don't know is, in your opinion, is the music video less important now than it was say ten, fifteen years ago? I think it has a certain amount of importance, but what what happened was all the money left it because it wasn't on TV. Nobody was paying ad dollars to watch it, so the labels don't put money into it anymore. Uh, and also, people you know downloading music for less or just listening to it on Spotify. The the budgets are a lot smaller, so you can't. That's why the clever gimmick videos were a big thing, you know, like uh, OK Go, oh, yeah. band. Right, right, here we right. are on treadmills. You know, it's because there's no damn money. Right. Um, and if you want, that's how my animation style developed too. You know, like High on Fi- like Opeth, I teased it a little bit, but when High on Fire came along, Matt Pike's like, this song's about all this. Cra-, you know, he just goes on and on about all this crazy shit that's in that he wants in the in the video. And I'm like, okay, Matt, uh, yeah, let me think about that. I'll put something together that has some of that in it and <laughs> some of my stuff, and we'll just see what what happened so that one was kind of almost half matt pike and half me but it was i watched a video of ralph bakshi online talking about how like the technology is here now for all you guys to make what i was making with 20 people in you know with two guys and a computer you should just do it i stole it from disney you steal it from me shoot somebody on green screen rotoscope them i'm like yep that's what i'll do Ralph. Thank you, Ralph. I'll make my uh, comic book world here. I'll just do that. Uh, so when I did the High on Fire video, that was the first time I tried doing that. You know, went out to Joshua Tree with my still camera, shot a bunch of rocks, get a green screen studio for one day, shoot people running around with guns and, and doing crazy stuff, and then building all these scenes in After Effects using my Photoshop experience from photography. Like it's all, it all kind of built up to that point where I could now take everything that I'd ever done and like put it into one thing. So then High on Fire became like the next Opeth video. Then people saw the High on Fire video were like, we want that. Um, so that be- that started to become that whole style, the animation style that kind of kept growing from yeah. there. It's very, very cool. By the way, I, I, After Effects, the workhorse, the workhorse <laughs> totally. of, of filmmaking, despite what nuke people... And all these other programs will tell you, even in even in the industry, After Effects is still the fucking workhorse. Because some people will kind of poo-poo uh, your program choices, you know, what you're using. Mm-hmm. After Effects yeah. is shit. Yeah, well, whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't really care what people's opinion about what you work with. I mean, it should be what you what you came up with that matters, you know? Like, how you got yeah. there. Finished I'm not product. A, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, tell me about Ian McKay. Um, he's, you know, my brother from another mother. He's, uh, he's, he came out with me. Uh, we moved actually from Brooklyn together out here uh, to work on the first movie. He, we met on uh, Far Out. He had auditioned for uh, one of the main parts, uh, but he didn't get it. But he, he emailed me afterwards. was like, dude, um, I just want to work with you guys. So if you need an extra, if you want me on set to build and 
he just donated a ton of time and we became like best friends. Uh, and then it was just, uh, one thing led to another. He left his job in New York at the same time we started developing nights of Badassum, awesome, And, uh, he helped me a lot with that. And then we moved out here together and he started diabolic to give us free reign. And because as the music video budgets were going down, you realize, you know, your production company that you're signed to is making 15% on top of your small budget, and they're not really contributing much to the project in any, you know, real tangible terms. So Ian put up his own money to start Diabolic, which is our production company now, and, you know, with the caveat that I would cast him in anything that he was right for. <laughs> uh, and uh, we just started to have one of those great you know, relationships that filmmakers, I think you just develop them sometimes with some of your performers. You start building this family of like people that you can count on who are going to wear multiple hats on set are going to do second AD work and do, you know, and be the star and, you know, have contracts signed. And, you know, you need that, especially in lower budget productions, which all music videos are, uh, you know, unless you're working for Beyonce. But, you know, I thought it would be different with Metallica. It wasn't. Right. <laughs> we, all, we all wore a lot of hats on that because they were doing a video for every song on a double album. So, okay. uh, wow. you know, you, you're not, you're not, and they needed it all in like a month. Like, you, yeah, we had to produce that, that video in 30 days. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, shoot it, shoot it and do all the posts in 30 days. Jesus. It was, no, it was it was insane. It was a really hard, hard project. And, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, process the, this. That deadline demands that we do this in a certain way. We're going to make this a straight-to-video or drive-in style, uh, late 70s, early 80s, you know, low-budget sci-fi B-movie. That's what we're going to do. That's what it's got to be. Right. Uh, because we, cause they, wanted, they wanted me to do something. They loved my Torch video. Um, which was a super low-budget project, Annihilation Affair. Uh, but it, it was an apocalyptic world of robots, and they find a girl uh, who's cryogenically preserved, and all, all hell breaks loose, and it's this very apocalyptic, has stop-motion animation, lots of other kinds of animation and effects right. in it. Um, yeah. But that, that had no money, and we took... And it was like Ian and I shooting in our apartments to make that video, and it took like four and a half months. Mm. And here, here's Metallica saying, "Well, we have a month, and we want that." And I'm like, well, "You can't have that." Here's what you can have. You know, wrote them a treatment. And they're like, "Do that, do that." So you know, kung fu fights. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was just gonna bring that up. You're so, you're so in our wheelhouse now. Uh, uh, again. Wearing your influences on on your sleeve, a lot of lot of Hong Kong in there, buddy. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, dude. totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, and not just like bullshit Hollywood stuff. It's no, like, no, no, no. Clearly, no. that girl had done some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's great. She was actually she's yeah she's a martial artist. She's like somebody. She had worked with me on the Stone Sour video. Do me a favor. She was the stunt coordinator on it. She worked on like the wire work, and she did a, a couple of the zombie kills herself. Um, and she and I just hit it off and she was terrific to work with. I was like, geez, let's get if Mindy's available. Cause she does like mocap work for video games and movies now. Like, cause she's just a, she's a super badass. Yeah. So she pulled in all these other guys who are like, they're all stunt guys and, you know, fighter trained fighters from like, they're in all the Marvel movies and stuff. So they just came and like, we riffed on location, really. There was like one rehearsal day where they just tried a couple of things and showed me a couple of things. 
And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we had, you know, we brought the costumes to that day of the set and we wanted to make sure that we designed the costumes in a way that they could move in them and, and keep it very simple so it wouldn't take forever to get dressed and undressed as they fought. And uh, it just kind of worked out. We got the location for a song and just went there and just kicked ass for two days. It was, uh, it was really fun to shoot that kind of stuff, too. Oh, yeah, I bet. How, how cool is it that you, and, and, and I don't know how often this happens, where people show up and you're like, dude, what you're doing? fucking A. Like, that's <laughs> cool. And you don't have to do it either. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to like, you know, that everybody's bringing their A game. Well, that was the whole point was like, we had no time. So I'm like, I can't spend as much time in post-production as I would to keep generating these fantastic scenes, you know, of like mixing 10 different types of effects in one shot. I knew that I had to eat some time up that where whatever I shot was what we were going to use. I could drop it into the timeline, color correct it, and be done with it. Sweet. And that's why the big fight, you know, this kind of twist in the middle where it's like, oh, my God, that guy you thought was the hero is not the hero, and she's the badass. And, you know, we, we go into that because it was like, all right, we've got to try to – that's what I told the fighters, you know, the, her co-coordinator, um, John, was – He's a great guy, too, and, he, you know, I was like, yeah, can we get, like, two minutes of solid fighting? He's like, oof, that's a lot, dude. You think, you know, can, can you maybe, maybe a minute and a half? But we ended up stretching it out pretty well, and it, it, it doesn't get boring. It's still fun. No, it was exactly, it was actually, it's, you know, a lot of people complained on YouTube about it looking cheap or whatever, but it was sure. like, that was, that was my that's point. YouTube. You know? That's YouTube. Fucking, <laughs> fucking ignore Never this. read the comments. <laughs> Uh, I'm used uh, to nice comments, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next Chrome There needs to be a filter. Yeah, that I was going to say. Uh, and I, I imagine saying it's for a Metallica video helps. Oh, God. We didn't even... Re yeah, totally. Like, I didn't even want to do it. I mean, to be honest, because of the schedule, because of what they wanted, is a seven-minute song, no band performance, which means I've got to fill seven minutes as a filmmaker, editor, post-production guy. And the budget wasn't big enough to like bring on a big team, and but it was my own guys, uh, Ian and Dan Simpson, our associate producer, uh, who were like, "It's Metallica, dude. What are you? They requested you. You have to do it. You mm -hmm. have to." Um, so I was like, "Okay, guys, but like, I'm I'm telling you, this is like the last one. I don't want to." <laughs> it, it, was, it was it was it was really difficult. You know, it wasn't it it was fun doing it. Uh, you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, I did it. You know, I got it done. Um, but there's a lot of compromises that I didn't want to make. There's a lot of things that I wanted to have more time on. You know, it just, but yeah, to get people involved, you say Metallica and like everybody jumped on board. You know, like I got artists, you know, I got guys in Chicago made that chair for me, made the orb for me, you know, because they were just like, they've been wanting to work with me and they're like, oh my God, you're doing Metallica? It was just one of those things, and I'm like, they're like, whatever budget you have, we will work with. You know, we just want to do it. So that helped a great deal. It didn't help so much in post. It was still, like, me, Ian, and Amanda working in my apartment, like, every day. Well, they both had day jobs, so they were coming at night. So I would work all day. They'd come at night. We'd work all night. Um, shooting miniatures and stop motion and all the other fun stuff, you know, that we stick in the videos. How so, much of, how much of that stuff is do you make yourself? Uh, it depends on on the project, but we usually, if there's something complicated, 
like say in a torch annihilation affair there's a lot of little props of like the 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 destruction of the earth and there are these sky ships that we basically made from kit bashing you know aircraft carriers and stuff like that and sure and just put them all together you know in monster magnet we made you know ian made the the you know the enola gay and stuff like that that we can do easily but if it's something custom like the robots in torch annihilation affair like some of those were made by a sculptor in arizona jeff soderberg uh and then the actual costume that ian wears because ian's all the the you know human humanoid robots in it mm-hmm. uh, mask was made the mask and costume were made by uh, Snakebite Cortez and Sammy Tattoo, uh, friends of ours who are designers who worked with um, Immortal Masks to get that mask done. Uh, he has a, like a front, a great front mask, and then they kind of made the bodysuit and did the painting on it and did the fingers and the joints. Um, we basically we try to find people who are you know who can work on this budget. It's usually the artists come to us, and then we, when there's a project that's right for them, we say, hey, do you want to jump on this one? Because we don't have budgets to go out to the top people in the industry and say, hey, you want to make a robot for no money for this band you never heard of? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, shout out to Immortal Masks, man. Those yeah. guys, yeah, fucking un- unbelievable the shit they put out. Right on. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was really... And that mask is, is uh, yeah... It, and, and Ian performing in that mask and making that robot come alive. People think it's he's stop motion animation. And we just we love it when we hear that. <laughs> ah, that's cool. I love that. Ian's kind of your Ted Raimi. He is sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and did, isn't, didn't you also cast him as Professor Dario Baba? Who, who, oh yeah. The name alone, I want to kiss you on the mouth. But um, uh, so yeah, that is Ian. That's Ian. Well, he was he played that character first in the Huntress Sorrow music video, which is like a very big like Hammer, Bava, Argento, you know, Fulci kind of music right. video that we did for Huntress. It was the second one we did for Huntress. And he, he played that character for the first time in that. And it wasn't anything that was going to keep going, but he was so fucking funny. Like, even when the cameras weren't on, he would just be speaking in this Italian accent and talking about why garlic has to be in every vampire hunter's kit because it's not just good for scaring off vampires; it's great in a bolognese. And you know, it, it was it was so much fun that my uh, my DP was just he's just like, dude, you gotta this has got to be the one that we that we make more of. Like we got to continue this this character. I'm like, yeah, because we've been thinking for a while, like. How do we take what we've been doing in this animation for these bands and not getting paid for it and make it into something even cooler that could be a franchise that could go on? Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that we could take because I've been really thinking about like short form online video content as being like a very important step into the future is like series that are 10, 15 minute episodes online. And well, look what and that became, you know, kind of we got the idea to continue it from doing that one shoot. Well, look at this stuff Blomkamp's doing now. What's the Oats Oats Studios? Yeah. yeah, he's making like twenty-minute shorts, and they're fucking awesome. That zygote is yeah. off the Dude, chain. Dude, I man. love zygote. That's like that's like my favorite of the of the bunch. Um, so we're gonna see more of the professor. Yeah, we're actually we already shot a two-minute teaser. Like a lot of a lot of time and money has gone into developing that project. We already have a. We have the first four episodes 
written. It's a 53-page script of the first four episodes. It's, it tells one story, Orgy of the Blood Freaks, uh, which is where uh, Professor Dario Bava meets uh, his new assistant, Sister Sadie, at the Vatican, a turned-on nun. Uh, and we, uh, we already shot and finished the two-minute teaser, which is like a title sequence with an original theme song by Calibro 35, an Italian funk band. Oh, cool. And that's going to be released. It's going to be world premiered with our crowdfunding campaign for the graphic novel, which is sort of a prequel sequel, uh, which is going to come out before probably the series ever sees the light of day, because that's going to take some while, a little time to raise the money to make that. Um, I, I love that so many people are doing that. The Calibro doing it. Jalos Flame is doing it. Right. There's like whole... My Big. friend, my friend Josh is like he's he's got that whole thing of uh, Tenebre. Uh, dang it, I can't like remember. Music the or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know it's what all, I'm talking it's about. All, yeah. it's all, and look at Gob- fucking Goblins touring. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Dude, <laughs> Goblins coming to Seattle. Uh. There's two. Actually, there's two Goblins. There's there's a there's there's Claudio Simonetti's Goblin, and right. then the guitar player has a band called Goblin Reborn, and of, they all just do this. Of course, there is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like all those. Uh, I, I keep going back to references, and I want to ask some of yours. Like, I'm, I'm. It's a redundant question, I'm sure, but you know, you, clearly you're a film fan, and not just the stuff that's in the cinema now. But you're, you, you like us, like dive a little deep. Um, talk a little bit about the the things that have influenced you beyond, you know, the the obvious like Star Wars and Baba. And... Um, well, I, you know, lately I haven't been that. I mean, newer movies, I find, like, the, the major, the big motion picture stuff is really, I'm just jaded on it. I, I, can't, I, I can't really make it through a lot of superhero movies to the end. I just uh, fall, fall asleep or just get super bored. I, I'm not into them as much. I end up going back and looking at stuff that, and to find, you know, kind of inspiration. But I think, you know, from probably the earliest time i mean a lot of my influences are probably you know ones that you hear all the time you know like sam raimi or david cronenberg or gilliam or george romero too uh you know rest in peace but like dawn of the dead was the first movie i ever bought on video cassette when i was young right because because to me and it was it wasn't available in like a sort of consumer version. I had to buy, like, a video store version. It was, like, oh, wow. six bucks or something. Yeah, it cost way too much. I had to save up my, my allowance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was, like, that was a movie to me that I was, like, wow, this feels so, you know, uh, original. And I was I was very – it was the 80s when I got it. And it was it – was I was very critical of, you know, Repo Man was also another seminal movie for me, Alex Cox. Yeah. Just because it was just so anarchic and so fuck you and so like anti-materialistic and talking about all these cra- just these crazy characters and ideas all piled into this movie that was really about like the the deterioration of the entire culture sort of um, so that sort of stuff really inspired me um, early on and then as I got older I got really much more into a little bit of the the, the Euro horror, the Euro sleeve stuff. I really started to think Jess Franco was kind of amazing, even yeah, though his yeah. are kind of dull. I loved how they were, there was like, he focused on a beautiful woman and great music and walking around in cool locations and getting naked. And I just thought 
There was something magical about the simplicity of those. Dude, you films. just you just described every series on HBO. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny how like yeah, I mean TV is kind of better now, which everybody says I know, but uh, there's a lot more going on in TV shows. Although I I like the closed format of a movie where it's over when it's o- it ends and it's sure. done. Like See, the story's this is why finished. I like this guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, I try to do that in my music videos too. I try to like tell a story really fast, you know, and I use all kinds of references as visual shorthand because I figure we all have this huge pop culture library in our heads. So I I key things into my videos to get people on on board with the story as quickly as I can, and then I. Resolve it. I try to resolve it. And I, Yo, that's what I, I like about, you know, good films have that. But now, none of them have it. Like, none of those superhero movies dude, then. This goes on and on and on. Right. It, it, they're, they're all leaving things open for for the Kevin, follow-up. Kevin Smith said it's all second act. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It, it's the difference between, like... Um, I'm cutting you a hundred times shallowly with my knife, or I'm fucking chopping your head off. I think it's all part of a, junk, a bigger like marketing plan, and th- things like story get set aside. What you're saying is very similar to what I've been ye- yelling about forever, about why I don't watch a lot of TVs, because you know it's like I grew up on that three-act structure where right. there needs to be a beginning, middle, and end. But it's all middle now. and I, Yeah. I no, especially, yeah, a lot of shows, I mean... Like, uh, Game of Thrones can be great sometimes, but it, it definitely feels like they already surpassed what, where he finished the books off, because he's not done writing the books. Mm-hmm, Even right. if he will finish it now, who knows? And the stories it has changed totally, and now they're really rushing to get to the end, and it's becoming all these little, little mini action climax scenes that, Dude. if you go back and er- watch earlier shows, it used to take forever for them to get anywhere. Because it's it's this like you know Middle Earth type place, but now it's like a guy can run from here to there and get help. To they come just and did that. Fly in. He's, yeah, they yeah, just did that. that he's talking episode, about but, this last episode where it's like yeah. time just like the whole idea and uh, logic of time just flies out the window. It totally did. But I mean, there have been some good movies that I think are real. They're not made. They're not big studio movies. But like I liked, you know, I liked The Witch a lot. That mm. that was, yeah, that was cool. Um, because that is a tight little world and it was a movie that was all about what it was about, you know, and it, and it didn't, it tied up nice at the end, although not too neatly, you know, and I liked, um, I I really, of, of horror, I'm thinking, trying to think, let the right one in the Swedish version, Mm -hmm. dude. I thought was like one of the best horror movies, you know, in a long long time. It's in my top 10 for like an, an an island list of movies, you Mm -hmm. know, like, uh, let me ask you this. What do you think about uh, gleaning from what I can, from what you like, um, what do you think about the new Planet of the Apes trilogy? Um, I was such a, I was a big fan. I mean, I remember the TV show. You guys remember the TV show? Oh, yeah, show? absolutely. I, I remember the Saturday morning cartoon. Oh, yeah, that was that, too. I had the action. I had some of the dolls and stuff, too, when I was really young. You know, uh, dolls are action figures. Yeah. <laughs> they <ahead>. were dolls. <laughs> um, but they, uh, I think the new ones have been, re- I mean, Andy Serkis is, he's amazing. I mean, he's, yeah, right. I haven't seen, I haven't seen the latest one, um, the war, war I haven't seen yet. Nor but, have I, and I'm excited to see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Because uh, actually I heard it was like really, really good. Like surprisingly good, even though it didn't really do that well. But yeah. uh, Have you seen there's, yeah. a, there's the video of Circus talking and they, uh, in one take, they, they morph him into the ape. And no, it's, I haven't it's seen It's amazing. It. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. No, I, I think he's, he's like, he's really uh, going to become an icon that we're, you know, everybody's going to talk about for a long time, I think, because mm-hmm. he's, he's taken that mocap stuff and made it really about that actor, that performer, you know, and not about the technology because people get hung up and think, oh, they just did it in a computer. Like that's easy or that doesn't right. take, you know, all these hours and effort. Right. Um, but, you know, what he's done with it is, is incredible, I think, you know. Agree. As the as the and as as every day goes by, all that technology gets better, and I, it's nice to see that it's resting more and more on those performers' shoulders than just yeah. I mean, performance, human performance. Even though I love effects and I love old effects, I love handmade looking effects. I like crudeness. You know, I like seeing the hand of the artist involved. But still, the greatest effect on film is is human performance mm-hmm. i mean that is the thing and right now i'm at a stage where i'm actually i find people that inspire me and i start writing for them you know like right. the like ian i write for him professor dario bava all the it's all these badass women that he works with in, in you know in fighting monsters in that series and they're all actors that i've worked with who inspired me and i'm like this you know this is going to be this woman this is going to be this woman you know and that is something that I didn't really, I never really thought about before I started doing this much filmmaking, you know, and, and cause with, with music videos, the great thing is you're not out there hustling to just try to get somebody to get it, give you a meeting to talk about something. You're, you're getting handed money to make a short film by this deadline. Go, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you write something and a week or two li- weeks later, you're given the money to make it. So that is like, it's like filmmaking crack. And you, it's it's very addictive because you want to be on set, you want to be making something, and then you want to be cranking it out, and you want. Um, I'm trying to kick the habit right now because it's just so financially devastating to do them. But um, by doing that many, I started to have different attitudes about filmmaking, you know, and, and started to see it in a different way. And, and that's where I started to realize, like, yeah, it's really the people. It's really the the making of the film that is the most satisfying part of it. It's mm-hmm. of all the parts that I love about it, and I do like post production a lot too. But it's that time on set when you when you're working with the right people and you're all connecting and you're all in that moment. It's really amazing. So that's now how I'm kind of looking at it. You know, like I want to make cool stuff with my friends is where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And luckily you've got you've got cool friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm building my family. I'm building my filmmaking family right now. Well, I I you know, there I I sign off on my emails with something that I I started when I was in film school and that is the worst day making a movie is better than any other day at any other sure. job. Yeah. Sure. Because it all comes <laughs> No, no, don't get me wrong. There are shitty days. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. But in the end, it all comes back to when you were little and you were watching uh, Creature Features late at night on television or whatever whatever the case may be, depending on what generation you are. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, and it was like the doors of Valhalla opened to you. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it's something we talk about a lot about that that moment in every artist's life when someone, even if they're not an artist, gives you permission to be right. an artist. Right. And you and you, especially you know, uh, you know, you you take that ball and you run with it. Right. And you go like, you don't look back and, and even start to question no, yourself. No, no. It's like, um, no, you, re- you realize you don't have a choice at a certain point in your life. You realize, like, if you want to be happy, you have to do what, you know, what, you're, what your calling is, you know. And, it, and it was, like, I was watching, you know, Chiller Theater and Creature Double Feature ever since I was a kid. So being able to actually play in that world now is just, like, it's just completely, you know, it's, it's such a great sort of happiness for me as a human being. I think we are all essentially, I think we are the creative species, we can't mm-hmm. not make stuff, even if it's not art, it's other things. So right. uh, there is, like, being true to yourself is what it, you know, what it comes down to. And I, I'm not, I'm in Hollywood, but I, none of that stuff is really, I'm not here for the wrong reasons, you know what I mean? Right, it's, right. it's not because I want to be rich and famous, it's because I'm just doing what I enjoy doing, you know? Right, 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 right. Sure. So uh, what's next? What, what, are you, what are you working on now? Well, I'm still writing the graphic novel, which is a much more difficult process than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, it was a total challenge because I didn't know uh, at first how to do it. I know I've read plenty, but I haven't t- tried to tackle it myself. So it was an interesting, like I, first I started writing a screenplay and I'm like, this isn't going to work. This isn't, it's not the same thing. There can't be motion. It's all got to be still. So what I ended up doing is like I, I got a, a basic template that some guy made. and it's, it's a Word document that you can list the panels and the dialogue and then I just got a composition notebook uh, that my friend Amanda gave me for my birthday, and I just started. I started literally drawing it out and writing it at the same time, simultaneously doing scene descriptions and panels to just work it page by page by page. Dude, and that's how. Just, I, just think that's how it, I had to do it. Just think of it as storyboards. Yeah. Yeah, but storyboards. My storyboards have a lot of motion indicated in them and there 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 cannot be any motion so it's like going back to being a photographer again where you got to tell the story in the still frame yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was a lot of rethinking it was like unlearning a lot of the filmmaking stuff again to be like no 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 it's got to be in the frame it's got you can't nothing's moving you can't make it move dude so it was a little bit of a challenge. I got over the hump, and now I'm like I'm I'm two thirds of the way done. But it was it was definitely interesting. Um, and I did. I also have a script out now that I that I did a rewrite on for uh, Mark Neveldine. He's a uh, director of Crank and and some other movies. Okay. Uh, you guys would know Gamer and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and I he, he and I met uh, through a mutual friend. And every now and then he has scripts that he thinks I'd be good to direct and he wants to produce if I direct, you know, if he can get me a, a first feature, he'd love to be the producer on it. So um, I, we have a script out now that's got some good people attached to it, which would be a creature feature, which would be a lot of fun. Um, and then I just picked up new management, too, who's, who I pitched some ideas to. And one, my first original uh, screenplay is, is the next thing. Once I get the Baba thing, out there, I have to get the crowdfunding campaign done and get the graphic novel produced. But uh, we uh, that will be the next writing project for me. I'm in a, a major writing mode right now. Right on. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, son. So thanks so much for coming on, and um, everyone, go check out his, this guy's stuff. It's super cool, and it's super not like cool. anything you've seen. No, no, I no. guarantee it. 
Yeah, check out uh, diabolicfilms.com. You can see just about everything there, the uh, short films, music videos. Diabolic with a K. Mm-hmm. You have a YouTube um, page, yeah? I have a, there's a Filmucci YouTube channel as well that has a lot of stuff on there and some behind-the-scenes stuff. You can see a behind-the-scenes video of the Metallica video. Um, you can see behind-the-scenes on um, Listening Dead. There's some stuff for that, too. Yeah. So. Are you on Twitter, and is Diabolic on Twitter? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I don't go on it that much, but I'm on there. We have face Diabolics on Facebook, and I'm on Facebook a lot. We find Facebook has a better reach for our audience. Sure, but, uh, sure. Well, um, people, follow this guy. Yeah, totally follow this guy. And for my hillbilly friends, that's M-U-C-C-I. <laughs> <laughs> Not M-U-C-H, whatever. <laughs> it's Gucci with an M. Yeah, right. right there you <laughs> go. Right there. No, all right. So we're going <laughs> to... Never mind. All right. So we'll be back in a second. Phil, thanks again. Um, we'll be all right. Back thanks, in a you guys. And uh, we'll go over all the bunch of, bunch of other stuff. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> Again, Phil, dude, very cool. Fucking a. His a. stuff is so cool. I, I, you know, one of the great things about this podcast is that we get to talk to people who are doing um, really cool stuff, and that, I, to be honest, that's my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Is that we we get to talk to people. Who not this like, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> not this stuff. Not what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. And again, it's like I always tell people about when I was doing Carpenoctum, you know, I had been attending writing classes and all this other shit. And when uh, we started doing the magazine, now suddenly I'm talking to Barker and I'm talking to Gaiman and, and, and sitting at the sort of knee of writers. And again, it's like being on set. We just talked about Phil. Right. Um, you get that headset and you understand like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like uh, like when Gaiman says at one point, let me tell you about writing, and talks for uh, two hours about writing. It's like, yeah, I, there's, I can throw my notes away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's a great opportunity, and so, yeah, it's great. Here's the bullhorn. You talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Going over some deaths. There was a few deaths this week. Uh, Sonny Burgess, who's a rockabilly icon. No one has right. probably ever heard of him. But no, he was, no, no. If you're a rockabilly fan, he was the, he was, he was the shit. Yep. Uh, Brian Aldiss, British sci-fi writer. A lot of my writer friends were very upset about this. A lot this. of people, yeah. yeah. I've I, never read him. I, I don't think I ever did, but he was always one of those names that yeah. was there. You know. Every compilation had an all this piece, right? And it it sparked me to want to try to you know my next bookshop. I'll probably grab something just sure. to just to check it out. Uh, personally, this one this one hit hard for some reason. John John Abercrombie, the jazz guitar player, right? Um, Abercrombie was a guy that falls in under things like John Schofield and and these guys who were been around forever and fucking monsters but they just never became household names um these are well i think jazz yeah jazz you lose a lot of people immediately especially when it's not like uh what do they used to call it um soft and warm you know (laughs) the the cool jazz the kenny g's and the the the, you know um david benoit's and all that sort of schmaltzy white wine at sunset kind of jazz. Right. Uh, now we're going to hit some biggies. Um, first of all, Jay Thomas, the comic, he played Rhea Perlman's husband on Cheers. Right. Um, and he was on a lot of stuff. He was in a lot of stuff. He's one of those faces that, regardless of whether you know who he is or not, mm-hmm. you know him. You see him. Yeah. And I didn't know this, but I guess for, the, for as long as Letterman was on, every holiday season I want to say every Christmas Eve or New Year's some ho- part of the holiday season he would bring Jay Thomas on and, and Jay Thomas would do two things number one he would tell a lo- some story I think it was about the Lone Ranger has something to do with Christmas right and then the, the second thing he would do is, is he would they would take a football and he would spiral the, throw the football in a spiral and knock the angel off of the top of the <laughs> Christmas tree and they did that every year and I had no idea that that's something that was a thing yeah um, but yeah there's that and now and then the two biggies I'm not sure if we talked about Dick Gregory last week uh, but Dick Gregory died right huge, huge black comedian yeah you know we, people will talk about Pryor and, and that kind of thing but the two names they never talk about is Dick Gregory and Paul Mooney right um, but those guys are Monsters. Huge, yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, and he went on to be an activist and an and a activist lot of and a, and a really really fine actor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Dude. if you remember the the dude that was like a thousand pounds or something that was on Oprah and Doctor Phil and all that kind of stuff. Right, Dick right, Gregory right. stepped in and and kind of helped that guy. Yeah. To, to to find his footing. Um, so that was huge. And then the giant this week was Jerry Lewis. Right. Uh, which I have a love and hate affair with Jerry Lewis. Sure, you know. as I think you should. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think uh, his work uh, requires your love, mm-hmm. and I think his personal life requires your. Yeah, he was. Vice did a piece called "Jerry Lewis is Still Alive and Still a Piece of Shit." Right, and that kind of explains it. Kind yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, he had yeah. a lot of shitty things to say about women in comedy. He had a lot. I mean, once on a broadcast for the muscular dystrophy thing, he used he 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 referred used the f word, and I'm not talking fuck. Um, uh, he was old school, but then in my time reading and stuff, I discover that back in the day, Martin and Lewis made Beatlemania look like a sideshow. 
Right. It, they were bigger than big and bigger than the Beatles and bigger than anything. And to go to those heights and well, I, I think then I was, to live to 90, it gets... I think I was, I was talking to you at class about uh, Louis Black talking about both of these comedy greats dying mm-hmm. in the same week, mm-hmm. Dick Gregory and uh, Jerry Lewis, and how his style, Louis Black's style, was born out of both of these guys. Cool. Like the, they That's were his cool. influences. Uh, he tried to use Dick Gregory for his commentary, and he tried to use Jerry Lewis for his um, demonstration. Sure. You, you know, a lot of the hand flapping and yelling and, and being kind of over the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at somebody like Sam Kinison, mm-hmm. and you totally see Jerry Lewis. Yeah, look at you look at a lot of comics. Look at Jim Carrey. Right. You know, you you see a lot of Lewis in there. Absolutely. And, uh, and it, he's become his own shorthand about you know all you have to say is uh, you know like uh, what was the joke about in Animaniacs about riboflavin. Right. Riboflavin is is a word is a Jerry Lewis word. Yeah, exactly. Any flavin is a is a Joe Lewis word. But if you go back on YouTube, which I did this last week. And look at some of the things he did in, in like the pantomimes in yeah. um, the typewriter pantomime. There's a great pantomime in, in Cinderella where he's just in a kitchen listening to the radio. Yeah. Um, the typewriter. I don't know if I just said that. Yeah. Uh, but brilliant in a Jacques Tati kind of way. Like that, there's no. It's not a mystery why the French loved Jerry Lewis. Absolutely. Because it's so. And some of that stuff is is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um. So there's that. Uh, moving on, uh, Alamo Drafthouse. They are my heroes of the week for two reasons. Number one, um, they announced today that because of the hurricane hitting Texas, right. certain locations for people who are displaced because they've been you know, asked to leave their area because of flooding or whatever, right. they're doing free showings. That's awesome. Yeah, super cool. And then they were, uh, the other thing they did that I really love is that they were the ones that got, you know, a little heat recently because they were doing all women showings of Wonder Woman. Right, right, right. And a lot of people had their head up their ass and had a big fucking problem with that. Um, now they're doing, with the release of this new It movie, they're yeah. doing clown only showings. Yeah. Which <laughs> I kind of want to go to. That's totally cool. Like, yeah, you can't get yeah. in unless you're a clown. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, that's so cool. That is so unbelievable. I, I, you know, I'd say Alamo Drafthouse in, in the past, I don't know what, 10 years, mm-hmm. has become exactly what theater should be. Yeah. In, in my and opinion. I don't understand why the bigger chains aren't following suit. Yeah, exactly. We were we talked. Cat used to. My wife used to live in Florida, and they have these things called draft houses there, where it's a combination of bar and movie theater. Right. Where they have wait service that bring you like chicken fingers and stuff, and they usually are running movies that you've already seen. They're like right third and fourth run. Right, right, right. Um, but you can drink, and yeah. you can eat, and you can you know. There's a few of them around. I mean the the Cinnabar. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, in Seattle, yeah, 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 yeah. You can drink in our local Pickford. I know that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so some places are getting it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one got me. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Follow me on this one. Once a Logan-inspired reboot <laughs> of Knight Rider. And I just don't understand the word. Michael Knight's an old guy. Grizzled man. Pissed off. I just don't know where that comes from, other than complete delusion and complete ego. Uh, sure, I, I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> sure. 
Sure, absolutely. I yeah. Yeah, it just made me laugh. It's silly. It just made me laugh. Um, talk Dude, I mean, as soon as you attach David Hasselhoff to anything, it just becomes silly. And even when he appears in, like, did you see the music video they did for Guardians of the Guardians Galaxy? Guardians of the Galaxy. He's there for the cheese factor. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, and no one's buying no, you as a serious anything. He's there. he's there for the check. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, Todd Phillips is going to direct, and Scorsese is producing a Joker film. Yeah, uh, weird. Yeah. Um, but it might be the first time that I'm interested in a comic book. Yeah, agreed. Movie. And you know what? I, my only problem in this is that with Scorsese involved, I would much rather see him do a Punisher film or a Daredevil film, something that's set in New York. Yeah, but you know, um, Gotham, mm -hmm. um, I think carries. I, I, I think the Scorsese world is full of gritty realism, mm -hmm. and I think that any time that he steps out of that, it needs to be someplace like Gotham. Yeah, yeah. I, I worry because they're rush, they're rushing these projects. There's there's this solo Joker film, and I right. know we're about comic book movies but solo joker film there's a joker harley film and there's suicide squad 2 and i and i just feel like it, it's too much joker and it's it's too quickly you know you got to space that shit out right, you know? right. um uh well, it's uh, like the it's like the the new batman series or incarnation it's like it's like marvel movies right mm -hmm. it's like you know it's like oh we're gonna have this and the, like, I don't need to see any more Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. as Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Like we, we like we've Funny had you the should Iron Man that. movies and we've had you know the other the Avengers movies. I'm like I'm yeah 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 um, yeah. Um, Neil Blomkamp wants to do an Iron Man movie. God damn it! <laughs> now Neil, here, here's the thing. Uh, if you recast it, cool. But if, mm -hmm. if Neil Blomkamp is going to do anything in the Marvel or the DC universe, right. it's got to be something robotic. Because that's where his, that's in his wheelhouse. If you look at his early films for sure. Audi and all that other stuff. So, while I, I'm a, I don't think we need another Iron Man film, man would I love a, a this is going to be deep cuts and I'm going to lose you on this one, but like Rom, this, Rom Space Knight yeah. or, or something like that. Something that is... Uh, more to his wheelhouse because I don't think the world ever needs another Iron Man film. No, we've we I think we've reached the pinnacle. Um, I, I didn't realize we're doing so much of this. We're gonna get through the comic book stuff really quick. Good. James Cameron came wrote it was in an interview and said talked about how he hated Wonder Woman. Right. Um, and Patty Jenkins, the director, fired back and just bitch slapped him. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a dopey thing to say. And someone pointed out, like, weren't you the blue, like, half-naked blue right. girl yeah, thing? Yeah, just stop it. Um, Death Note premiered on Netflix. Yeah. And Adam Wingard, the director, says that they're prepared to do more. And oh. it seems that people are ge generally liking Death Okay. Um, I wasn't a fan of the... Uh, of the anime, but you know, it's I, kind of a cool idea. I'm a huge fan of the apple, pineapple pen, really, video <laughs> with the Death Note character. Wow, yeah, I and that's all the Death Note I need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes this whole sort of. 
teeny thing where it's like, you know, it's it becomes it's it's never like go take the book to an adult I'll, or a scientist. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, like a lot of stuff. It's like, for example, True Blood. Yeah. I loved the concept of True Blood. I love the beginning of True Blood, and it just turns into this WB yeah. y- bullshit. Yeah, it's blowing my mind. It's like the the fact that we live in a world where Riverdale exists is just right. ridiculous. Uh, well, having said that, though, I mean, if Archie's going to be around, yeah. wouldn't you rather have Riverdale than just Archie? Yeah. Well, I guess recently they put a gun in his hand, so Archie with a gun? Yeah. Yeah, let's do yeah. that. Um, this is kind of weird. Seth Rogen is launching a net new network called Ma- Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, Mary Jane, and doing a show that anthropomorphizes cannabis strains called Talking Buds, where like it'll go, Hi, I'm O.G. Kush, and I cure headaches and backaches and blah, 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 blah. And the idea that you're going to, by familiar, it's going to help familiarize kids or people with, um strains of cannabis, which I scratch my head over. Uh, look. <laughs> I'm there's not more. Saying, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a pothead. Yeah. But when when pot becomes the focus... It becomes that the, whole thing. It's yeah, the Doug Bensoning of the world. Yeah, where yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love Doug, and I love, like, Doug loves movies, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Um, it's, going, the, it's the Kevin Smith thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, going on, Snoop isn't going to be involved in something called Queens of the Stoned Age. Jesus Christ. Featuring, a di- di- quote, a diverse group of engaging and, in- and entertaining women. It sounds like The View with Pot. Okay. Right, uh, one last one. This is the one that gets me. Wiz Khalifa is going to do a show. Wiz Khalifa, the rapper who looks like he weighs 110 pounds soaking wet. Right. Is doing a show for that network described as quote Jackass meets American Ninja Warrior. Oh God! Stop it! Fuck you, okay, America! This, if this is God. if this is like you're gonna you need to swing on this rope uh, over this this pool. And I'm not you're stoned. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, if you're stoned, you hit the water. You're not stoned anymore. Right. But anyway, um, uh, but the Jackass thing interests me. Like, are we gonna put what crocodiles in the water? No, fuck that. That's not, that's like stop it. Bullshit. This is the kind of stuff that makes me look at like potheads and just go oh. like, oh, Mary, every idea isn't uh, gold, Cheech. You gotta just take a <laughs> knee on a couple of these. Uh, James Gunn says that Guardians of the Galaxy 3, quote, sets up the next 10 to 20 years of the MCU. Oh, which has to mean that they're taking it more off-world. Sure, and and cool, God damn it, James Gunn, make a fucking cool movie again. I know, I know. I, I, I don't mind the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is a harder pill to swallow than the first one. Sure. Especially when I go back and I look at um, Super. Super Slither. Slither. You know. You know, and, and I, know, I, I know what's in this guy's... Yeah, or the Belkin experiment. Dude. You know, come on. When I look at what's, guy, what's in this guy's bat utility belt... Sure. Uh, he could be doing such cool Something. shit. Something, I mean... Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're so committed to the, this monolith of Guardians right. that you tr- you try, I guess, to make films on your downtime, but 
I don't know. Yeah. Um, what you don't do is what James Gunn is doing, and that is writing a redo on Starsky and Hutch. No! Why? Stop! Why? Stop. I don't understand anyone that was like, you know what? Starsky and Hutch got a shitty deal. It's like, Ugh. No. No. If you really feel the need to do that shit, make Beretta. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> the problem with Beretta is, is that, is that, the star you, you is, need is, is someone potentially a yeah. killer. And what yeah. you don't do is go, Beretta had a kid, and here he is. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of days ago in L.A., they were giving, they were doing, to celebrate the anniversary of the release of Hatchet, they were doing a free showing, I think at the Arclight, that Adam Green was going to be there, and right. a bunch of the actors are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone went for the free screening, everyone sat down to watch the free screening, and Adam Green came out for the Q&A and announced, like, oh, yeah, this isn't Hatchet 1. This is Hatchet 4 that no one has ever seen. We just finished, and it's being released today, here, now. And they played it, which I think is badass. I'm not an Adam Green fan. It's very cool. But I love the idea of, oh, yeah, here's this thing that I've been working on that that you didn't know about. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. gonna, and I can avoid all the bullshit of fanboys online bitching about my casting choices. It's right. like too late. Here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like that. Um, kudos to Green for that, and yeah. uh, make better films. Yeah. Um, Showtime has a Prince concert film in the can called Sign of the Times that uh-huh. they're going to do, which I'm exci- I'm I'm excited for. Sure, sure. Because I think even personal opinion with everyone even as much as they revere prince you i think a lot of people just scratch the surface on how good that dude, dude was like when i think prince i think motherfucking guitar player yeah 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 and a lot of people do you know yeah and or jesus he's these 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 trains like go on youtube and look at any live version of baby i'm a star right fucking a yeah yeah, so I'm I'm down, and I'm happy remember, to see. Do you remember? Uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was some some big music award show, and there was this huge like uh, AMAs. It was it was a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah, was yeah. after George Harrison. It was died. my guitar gently weeps. Yeah, well, and kidding. fucking Prince just blows. Well, he's everyone. on stage. He's on stage with with like a, most of the traveling Wilburys. Right. George Harrison's son is there. Yeah. You know, Tom Petty and just all these people, and they're ripping through this song, and everyone's going, "This is great!" And then Prince comes out, and you kind of go, "Who's this what? little guy in yeah. the red hat?" And then, man, holy shit, shit, he just. And, I, I, and, yeah. and kudos to whoever orchestrated that because it was it was spot on. Yeah. It, like yeah. And he's a monster, and you can find these things. I saw this just thing on YouTube. It's recorded some from someone's phone. It's just him standing there, kind of talking with the crowd, and he's got a bass in his hand, and he just starts fucking around on the bass, yeah. like absentmindedly, and you're like, whoa, yeah, that's some shit right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, couple more comic things uh Channing, according to Tan, Channing Tatum the Gambit movie is starting over they're start they scrapped everything they just have him as a star and they're starting all over so Whatever. that's going to be a while Common is doing for stars he's doing a series based on the comic Black Samurai 
once again, didn't we see this before? Like, didn't we see this with like Black Dynamite? Didn't we see this? I'm all for it if it's if it's what I I don't know I don't know the property. Well, okay. I'd love it for it to be supposedly there was a there was a legitimate Black Samurai back in the 15, 16, 1700s. If it's that, I'm down. If it's just some well, Luke Cage. When you say kimono. Black Samurai, I think. Um, damn it. <laughs> Ron Van Cleef. <laughs> Not Ron Van Cleef. Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Belt Jones Black. and all that other. Well, stuff. he made a movie called Black Samurai. Yeah. 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 And and that's where my mind huh. goes. And I don't we'll think see. I don't think that's where this is. I think this is mostly um, a push because of Commons' surprisingly good role in John Wick Two. Right. Like they really. He really like paid attention and it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was cool stuff. A uh, couple more things. Um, Duffer Brothers say they have seasons three and four of Stranger Things ready. Cool. And they're I didn't know that they were involved in that HBO series Room 104, but that just got renewed. For okay. Season. I don't know what that is. Um, essentially, it's an anthology series uh, where every episode is another story that happens in this hotel inside room. this room. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of that high, some little high concept stuff. Sure, sure. And then finally, uh, Bill Pullman and Melissa Leo are returning for Equalizer Two, and they just cast Pedro Pascal from Narcos as the villain. Okay. So I think that kind of, I think that kind of says where we're going. You know, mm-hmm. I think you know, Hispanic gangs maybe, and maybe it has something to do with. I always wondered why it didn't go back to the farm where Bill Pullman was. Right. So I think that we're going to probably go there. Trailers, there's a, a few here. Um, the School, uh, a horror film. Um, we were just talking during the break about horror film trailers are always a disservice. Or they have been yeah. as of late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is not any exception. It looked like an okay horror film, but it, there wasn't anything that made me go, yep, going to watch this. It, for me, it was like, I, 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 my comments out loud were, it's, it's creepy, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> and it looks very derivative. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just like... They definitely have a vibe down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was cool. Um, I, 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 I'm not able to glean from the trailer what the fuck... What's going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are they but, ghosts? Are they... Dudes that are actually there, I I don't know. Yeah, if, uh, if I Rose see Rose McGowan, right? No, 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 that's no. later. Uh, okay, I'm mixing up my trailers. Yeah, um, uh, if it if it's on Netflix and I and I got an hour to kill, I might check it out. Maybe that's but my I, issue. I yeah. never have an hour to kill. <laughs> Next up, King's Choice, sort of a looks like Oscar bait, um, very much along the lines of. The, the 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 king someone is king uh, abdic- putting in power uh, sort of colonial India for want of a better word right um, it looks like Oscar bait it didn't look interesting it, it looks like it's going to play your art house for a week or so sure, sure, and then, sure. then it'll go to, to, to movie theaters right. or to a video uh, the Rose McGowan thing is called The Sound there you go okay yeah uh same thing. Same yeah. thing. Don't know what's going school. on. I like the idea that they're kind of playing with something that I don't. I think should have gotten more play, uh, and that's EVP. 
Right. Um, and I'm happy to see Rose McGowan working. I am happy to see her working because after she kind of came out against uh, the way women were being portrayed, mm-hmm. I was worried. That, and then she went to the RNC thing. And, right. I was know. worried that, that we weren't going to see her mm-hmm. after that. So, yeah, and I think she's a solid yeah, little she's, actress. Yeah, she's fine. Um, the Man Who Saw Too Much documentary. That looks really fucking cool. Yeah, it does. I'm excited about that. We we tend to have that reaction to documentaries. We do. Where it's like, wow, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's a couple of those in here. Uh, for context, uh, it's a it's about a photographer, mm-hmm. um, uh, in Mexico. Yeah. Who kind of focuses on? He doesn't focus on the event so much as the aftermath. Yeah. And it's usually something fucked up and bad. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's photographing... Hence the man who saw too much. Right. He's photographing victims. He's photographing survivors. He's mm-hmm. photographing, um, essentially, people in anguish. Yeah. And uh, it looks really, really, really And I think it speaks a lot about what that can do to a person. Yeah. You know, I used to always think that as a creative person, your ability, your your job was when everyone looked away, your job was to look, and um, that isn't recommended. <laughs> no, no, yeah, right, exactly. Well, I so often I think that we we miss the boat, mm-hmm. and that um, the thing, whatever it is, isn't about the event that's happening. The killing, mm-hmm. the you know, the the storm, whatever it is, it's about after. Yeah. And uh, you, you know, as much as I I don't like Boris Vallejo as compared to Frank Vazetta, mm-hmm. Vallejo had a really good point. He's like, don't ever paint the 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 thing that's happening. Yeah. Paint right before it. Or right after it, and right. he's right because Absolutely. because that leaves the event still to be uh, 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 constructed in your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I've always said that good art implies a past and implies a future. Right. And, exactly. And this sort of talks about that. Yeah. And you can see it. You know, it's um, we empathize so strongly with human faces. Sure. And when we see one that has just endured something really fucked, it's really. It's, it personalizes it for us. Right. Uh, you should think right. about how would I feel in yeah. the same situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, next up is a film called Little Evil. About It looks like a comedic take on The Omen. Uh, and um, hated it. Hated every it, fucking frame of it. It looks stupid. Yeah, I don't yeah. understand... Where, where do these... I, it, it left me speechless. I couldn't understand, like, how does this get made? Right. Um, especially when you look at who's in it, like the dude from Parks and Rec, Bridget Everett's in it. Right. I don't know. Um, and then Fallen, uh, about um, people who have had, who have died in battle and have been around people who have died in battle. Right. And he talks a little bit about that. Looks solid. Looks a lot like there's a documentary if you can find it called First Kill. Right. Where they talk to people about the first time they killed somebody. Right. Um, looks depressing as fuck. It looks depressing as fuck and and very real and uh, you know you need a you need a stiff drink. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Sitting with you. 
and that's how first kill was for me it was like man this is this is a tough road to hoe but having hoed it i'm happy i did that yeah it's like all that stuff yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, something called Infinity Chamber, some sci-fi thing. Um, is this the, the the thing that they advertise as being Kafka-esque? Yeah. Uh, it looks interesting. I, you know, I like. It's like a lot of stuff. It's like I, if I'm not in that mood, right. I'm not going there. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. heavy. It's too. I uh, I don't but, know. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, but. If you're of that mindset, it looks good. It looks competently made. Yeah. I'll give it that. I don't know. Again, I don't know too much about what we're what we're doing narrative wise. I love that. Um, it looks like it wasn't made for a lot of money, mm-hmm. and it was like it's focusing on this character more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if that actor can pull it off. Uh, next up, a film called Tulip Fever. More Oscar bait. I think it's it's it looked. Um, Which one was this? I knew you were going to ask me that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't remember. I really don't remember. And that, I guess, says everything we need to Because I exactly. watched all of these last night. Right. And that's right. how fast this... Either I have Alzheimer's or that fucking just flew out of my head. I watched it, them like three hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it had to do with something I remember with some woman and some relationship in her family. And it looked very sort of, you know... Um, Character driven, character kind of a weeper. Uh-huh. Um, again, I don't even I don't know that I would even on, on Netflix would I watch this right. unless I started to hear really amazing um, right. uh, reviews. Uh, a lot like Fallen is this movie Last Flag um, Flying about uh, it's a documentary documentary another documentary very similar on the same about uh, police officers. Um, you, there's been so much in the news in the past few years mm-hmm. about police officers wrongfully shooting right. um, people, and this is a documentary about police officers getting killed in the line of duty, mm-hmm. and uh, it looks very interesting. Yeah, it looks yeah. hard. Yeah. Much like Fallen, it looks hard. Right, exactly. Uh, abundant Acreage, again, I, you know... It's like our voices probably still on it. I've got this farm and I've got all this land and I'm giving it away and my wife is pissed. That's basically Yeah, <laughs> yeah it has to do with it being someone else's someone's land that they bought because that person was having some sort of financial difficulty. Right. And then that person came back and says, Hey, you know, this used to be my land and the present owner decides to either give all of it or part of it away. Yeah. The thing that was interesting is the guy who is the previous owner. Yeah. I don't know how to say his name, but he was Wojohowicz in Barney Miller. Oh, Max. Max, yeah, something or other. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. he was he was the Polish cop. Yeah. The kind of dumb. He was one of the guys that you really liked on yeah, Barney yeah, Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so out of nowhere, like forty years later, he shows up in this movie, and I just went when I saw the trailer, I went. Oh, I did not catch that. That's yeah, right. So cool. Yeah, and then finally, uh, a Japanese film called Memoirs of a Murderer. At first, I had it confused with a um, not a Akira Kurosawa, but the other Kurosawa, um, Memoirs of of Murder. Uh, this is something different, and this is the one of all of these that I was the most excited about. It's interesting. This whole idea of of uh, 
this character who is a serial killer mm -hmm. who is getting Alzheimer's, I guess. And yeah. Is having a hard time remembering. But then we have this younger guy who... It, 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 it gets sketchy, but it, it like, gets like sketchy. he finds him out. Well, it gets it gets this whole thing of like a, an unreliable narrator, a mm -hmm. narrator. Yeah, and you don't know yeah. from watching the uh, from watching the trailer, you're not sure what's true and what isn't. And I think that it'd be interesting to find out as you go along with the characters. I've been racking my brain. There's a French film about something similar to this about an assassin who is starting to exhibit Alzheimer's symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I'll be damned if I can remember the name. If anyone knows that, let us know. It's but a very interesting idea. It's a great... It was, and, it's a, and that French movie is great. Mm -hmm. um, almost, and another thing that comes to mind is the Ian McKellen, Sherlock Holmes with Alzheimer's movie that just came out last uh, recently. Which I think was uh, Mr. Holmes. Mr. Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I just love the idea of someone at the, who is at the height of their capabilities feeling it slipping Starting through their fingers. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it's let's, like that Rush song, "Losing It." Is that what it is? Is that Alzheimer's or? It's not. It's not necessarily Alzheimer's. It, it's somebody who's at the top of their game, and for whatever reason, it's going away, and the pain that's associated. Oh, well, it's look like, at it's that. It's better to. Is it better to have known it and to have lost it, or is it better to never have known it? You know, yeah, that's the question uh, that's posed. I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but you brought since you brought since you brought up Rush. Did you hear about this Life's and Lee project? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, Life's and Lee are together. They're going to be. They're going to form a band, and they're going to have a second band in a career because I guess Neil Peart is done. Sure, he's done, and. Uh, it, it, you know, it won't be Rush. Because It'll be fucking close. Yeah. If they're smart, what they'll do is... Um, they'll be like, Neil. You'll never find another Neil. No, but no, no. find a get someone like Terry Bozio or yeah. some really world flight drummer in there. Someone that can handle the old Rush catalog so they don't have to give that up. Right. I think we're on to something here, boys. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited. That's cool. Um, what have you been watching? Anything? Are you been working much, or, mostly, or? <laughs> <laughs> I've been working and sleeping. That's that's. All I've right. not been watching anything. The, the only thing I've watched in the last week was the last Game of Thrones. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so not tomorrow. The penultimate episode. Yeah. So tomorrow's the, the big finale. Yeah. Tomorrow's the big finale. And it's cool. I mean, I, at this point, I, I I think any Game of Thrones fan. Yeah, you're on or you're not. Yeah, yeah. Knows what's going on, so I don't yeah. give a shit whether you. Uh, spoiler alert. Okay, there. I've didn't. I've done my due diligence. <laughs> um, it seems like my dream for this show might become a re. It, mm. it, it, it's not going to, but it, it's there's the possibility there. And my dream has always been that the White Walkers, the zombies, the yeah, army yeah, yeah, of the yeah, yeah, dead. Yeah. They fucking take over and they kill everyone. Wow! And and then it becomes a world of the dead. That would be my perfect ending for the show. What yeah, happened? That ain't gonna happen. Nah, I know it's not gonna yeah. happen. Yeah, everyone. What? The big the big thing is they're talking about Jon Snow riding an ice dragon. That's what everyone seems to be like. This is, that would be so cool. But yeah, I'm the like, ice dragon is 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 under I the. Don't know. The, the, I I really don't know what I'm. Talking I know. About I know. The the zombies. Yeah. What happened was the chick who has the dragons, right? Yeah. 
One of their one of her dragons gets killed. Yeah, and they bring him back. And then the zombies like reanimate it, and now they have, in addition to giants and all these other corpses that they have, zombie dragons. Now they have a now they have a zombie dragon. Yeah, and I think we talked about it a little bit this last week. About I, I view all of that as just evening even in the odds. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, we they got a dragon, we got two. And, yeah. yeah, we got this, we got a Hulk. Right. Um. Yeah. So I'm sure it'll be great. I'm sure it'll please all the fans, and then juxtaposed with people hating. I'm just every glad fucking that minute. like there's only one season left, and and then is that is this is the is this the finale of just a season, or is this the finale of the no, show? No, this is the finale of the season. Oh. So, so okay, so the seventh and eighth seasons are shortened. Oh, so the seventh season, this is the end of the seventh season. Okay. And Sorry, then, and then we've got like another. I thought we were done. No, no. And I'm we, like, okay, we can nah, wrap this we've up. We've got like another, uh, I don't know, right. eight episodes or something. Uh, me, um, a couple of films I want to talk about. Uh, number one, a documentary called Nollywood Babylon. Right. Talks about Nigerian filmmaking. That's a great documentary. It's a great documentary. Yeah. It's hard to find because um, I guess it's gone out of print, but it's worth checking out. Yeah. And um, a past guest on the show, Lorelai Shannon, and I were talking about this movie, Amer. Yeah, um, and it's an interesting film because it's it's visually very much along the lines of what we've been talking about with Phil and Baba and all that other stuff, right. and it draws really heavily on that stuff. Um, the narrative's a little wonky, but man, it's a beautiful movie. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful. Movie. It is really, really, really good. And yeah. they, uh, I like those filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. Uh, that's kind of it. Um, saw a documentary on the captains about cap. Uh, don't ask me why. Captains of the uh, in Star Trek, but it's all the thing that makes it interesting is, is that the interviewer is Shatner, right? And yeah. it's it's amazing to watch Shatner bring everything back to Shatner. Sure, absolutely. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, and also uh, Phil mentioned Let the Right One In. Yeah, I took another. I took a look at Let Me In. Yeah, um, and I feel the same way. It uh, moments uh, what it cribs it cribs well, and it really loses me at the anim- the CG vampire girl thing. Right. It cuts the CG for all the attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Uh, musically, what are you listening to? And we'll get out of here. Um, I got a book too. I've been listening to uh, I've been listening to the same thing I've been listening to for the last uh, ten years. I I've not listened to anything new. Wow. Or or, or, or different. Wow. I dude. It's all I, synthcore. I I like my comfy bed. <laughs> if I if I wasn't working all night and yeah. and trying to sleep through the day, I'd probably try something else. But right, right, right. now, time I, is time. I don't is have important. the time. Um, don't ask me why, but I I just rediscovered a record called "Very Greasy" by David Lindley. It's mm-hmm. mostly a record of covers. Um, things like Werewolves of London, Papa Was a Rolling Stone, Do You Want to Dance. There's an old doo-wop song called Give Me That Ting. Yeah. Um, but fucking Lindley, man. I, he's such a great guitar player that no one ever talks about. It's a different kind of guitar player. I also, um, in the same light, found a Jackson Brown, David Lindley record. that was. It's a live record from Mexico. And it's fucking, it's amazing. He's such a good guitar player. And I just don't understand why... He hasn't gotten yeah. The, why he doesn't the, go over and, yeah. and you only hear people like they they might be a fan of Ry Cooter, right. and they also find David Lindley. Yeah, um, it's because he doesn't have a name like Ry Cooter. 
Ry Cooter's a monster. Yeah. Ry Cooter did all the slide guitar playing in gr- Crossroads. Yeah. The, with the Steve Vai Ralph Absolutely. Monster thing. Yeah, he did. And it's fucking amazing. Yeah. That guy's a great guitar player, too. Uh, what are, you, are you reading anything? Any book you want to mention? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> um, I just ordered the audio book for Doug Stanhope's Digging Up Mother, and I'm very excited about getting it. Um, digging up. I, I I I take that back. I take that back. I've been rereading um, um, Sarah Val's. Um, uh, shoot, now I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> anyway, anything by Sarah Val. Okay, good. Yeah, good, good. In particular, if you're able to get audiobooks, because Sarah Val has such a distinctive voice. Yeah. And it really helps the story. Right on. Um, and. Uh, in particular, I would say um, pay particular attention to Assassination Vacation, where she goes and visits all these different sites um, in the United States where people have been assassinated. Presidents, oh, cool. uh, either assassination attempts or have oh, that's been very assassinated. Fun. That's cool. Yeah, and, and it's it's a blast. It's it's, huh. it's one of the best things I've ever heard. Uh Okay, uh, Stanhope. Uh, Digging Up Mother, it's about his life with his severely codependent, alcoholic mom. Right. And how funny she was, and there's a lot of stuff. If you go on YouTube and look up Doug, Stan- Doug Stanhope Mother, Matt, I just gotta like the tweet. Um, um, dig, uh, his piece Mother is talking about how he, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, um, how he says that he didn't so much as attend his mother's suicide as he barbacked it where he describes her drinking white Russians and eating 96 morphine pills because she had emphysema. And he makes it, if it's possible to make your mother's suicide funny, Doug does it. The book does the same thing. The audio book, the book is read on the audio book. But if he talks about like John Smith, who he went to high school with, they went and found that guy and got his side of the Good. story. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And it's very cool. I'm very excited about getting it. Um, I think we're good. Yeah. we got some stuff happening next week. I know. Uh, we've got, we're going to talk film soundtracks next week with William Faith, who's a musician. Very did, cool. did some music. And he was in bands like... Uh, all you goth fans out there will remember bands like Christian Death and Mephisto Walls. And he was half of Faith in the Muse. Right. And William's a good guy. And I'm most excited because, like, he trains at the Durkenberg Academy. <laughs> and we're going to so talk about martial arts. It's going to be so much fun. Um, please do me a favor and go to our Facebook page for the show or Langley or my Facebook page. Add us. That's the only way you're going to know, really, what's going to be happening with us. Um, and if you would, please go to your local Amazon or Amazon or your bookstore and uh, buy, a, buy a book of mine. I'm Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Right. Um still don't have a release date on string of pearls i'm halfway through the first edit on the the zombie book thing so we're we're moving sweet all right so we'll see you next week for the bonus material podcast i'm tom Farnell, and i'm langley west stay scary